Love it. How many of you are ready for the Word of the Lord today? How many of you love the Word of God? In His Word, good. We've been talking about wisdom for the last three weeks, this third week. And I want to talk to you about wisdom again today. We need wisdom more than we've ever needed it before. I think the church is suffering from a lack of wisdom. Good intention, but a lack of wisdom. And we need wisdom. Now, I was going to call this and have called it officially the wisdom of clean living. But I would like to have called it how to live clean in a pig pen world. Because we're living in a pig pen world. How in the world do you stay clean in a pig pen world? Well, you can. And so I want to read two, three passages to you out of 2 Corinthians 6, 14, 6, 17, and chapter 7, verse 1. And let's just read them. I want you to read them with me because this is how you live clean. And how many of you know we do need to live clean? Well, that's about half of you. I've got the right crowd to preach to today. I'm kidding. All right. Read it with me. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. <clears throat> Say with me, I know that's right. <clears throat> now let's look at this one. Read it with me. Verse 17. Therefore, come out from them and be what? Separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. Now, here's the last one, chapter 7, verse 1. Read it with me. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that does what? Body and spirit. Notice you can contaminate your body and you can contaminate your spirit man. All right? Now, doing what? Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Father, we just thank you for your word today, and we pray for wisdom. We need wisdom. Wisdom, Lord, to walk with you successfully, cleanly, in holiness, and while at the same time affecting the world around us for you. So, Lord, we receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save our soul. I pray for wisdom to be planted in every single person and that we will be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, blessed in the storehouse, blessed in the field, blessed in our going out and blessed in our coming in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, live clean. I'll let you preach a little bit today. Uh, we have been fo focusing on wisdom the last couple of weeks, wisdom of discipline, the wisdom of a disciplined life without which you're never going to grow. Not going to grow spiritually without discipline. And last time we talked about wisdom with relationships. Wisdom with relationships. My, we need wisdom when it comes to who we run with, you singles, who you go out with. You need wisdom. We need wisdom in business transactions with people. Wisdom in dealing with one another. Now, today I'm going to look at God's wisdom on the challenge of living a clean life in a dirty, defiled, and godless world. No question about that. We're living in a defiled, increasingly contaminating world. It's almost like it can't get much filthier out there. Now, I remember one time I, I saw a billboard, and the billboard said this, if you have an engine, you have sludge. 
Now that may be news to some of you, but it's a fact. As a matter of fact, I believe the billboard was about oil filters, the need for oil filters, and, and it, it showed a picture of the inside of an engine that had not been taken care of properly. And I gotta tell you, it was gross looking, it was disgusting looking. You knew that that car was terminal. It was black and filthy. And the ad was very, very effective because here's what the ad did. It made you think twice about what's going on under the hood of your car. Don't think about that very often, but something's going on under the hood of that car in the places that are unseen. And it made you think about how real and impacting those unseen places can be, can ruin your car. I had an associate pastor uh, at my first church in East Texas. Young man, we were both young men then. I'm, a, I'm the new 50-ish now, which is young. Everybody say, that's young. <laughs> All right. We were real young then. And he had this brand new Cutlass Supreme in the 1980s. Beautiful thing. But he was so young and always active, always running around doing this and that and the other, he forgot to ever change that oil. One day he stops at a red light and smoke starts pouring out of his engine. He said, what in the world could be wrong? Took it to a place, and when they pulled the dipstick out and looked at that thing, the oil was coagulated into chunks. And he was informed that his engine was totaled. It matters what goes on under the hood. And the Bible says the same thing with our heart. It is unseen. It is, in essence, under the hood. Most of our thoughts, motivations, inclinations, what we're meditating on, musing on, are unknown to others, but not unknown to God because the Spirit searches the deep things of man and knows what's going on in men and women all the time, sees our thoughts. And the Bible says what happens in the heart under the hood reaches out and touches every solitary area of your life. There's not an aspect of life, financial, relational, marital, nothing that's not affected by the heart. Proverbs says, above all else, above your 401k, above your money, above your Rolex, above your bank account, your savings account, more than any single thing in life, guard your heart. For everything you do flows out of your heart. You are today where your heart is. The heart is the mirror of man. And Jesus said, if you have a heart, you're going to have sludge. Jesus said, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. Murder never happens but what at first takes place in the heart. Adultery doesn't just happen, it begins in the heart. Theft starts with a thought in the heart. Everything flows out of our heart. We will act today according to where our heart is. We will bless people or curse people, pray for people or not pray for love people or dislike people. Everything we do flows from that hub of our life, the heart. And so it says you better guard it, watch over it, watch what you think about, 
Watch what you muse on, meditate on, ponder. Fill your heart with the Word of God. Fill it with good things so that your heart can meditate on the holy, righteous things of God. Whatsoever is pure, honest, just, lovely, of a good report, if there's any virtue, any praise, think on these things. So the challenge in a dirty world filled with hatred, prejudice, lust, doubts, uncleanness, is how in the world can we have a clean life? How can we be clean in this dirty world? In the passages I read, there's three principles that are going to help us to stay clean. And uh, even while we're living in the midst of a pig pen world, you can be clean. You can be righteous. You can walk in holiness. Now here's the first one. He says, do not become unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So the first one is avoid close contact, not all contact, but close contact with unbelievers. Now I talked about this last time. You know the early service and second service sold out. Those CDs flew. And I'm going to tell you why. Because that's where we live. We live with other people in the workplace, at home, neighbors, friends, school. We're around people all the time. And we are constantly faced with who are we going to run with? Who are we going to hang with? Who are we going to spend our time with? Who are we going to open up our heart to and our soul to? Who's going to get to know us intimately? Who's going to be our good friends, best friends? Who are we going to let into the inner sanctums of our soul? That's just living. We live in a human-infested world. So, he says, if you're going to live clean, you're going to have to use some wisdom with who you run with. Talked about it last time, but it deserves a second look. The concept of unequal yoking. Do not become unequally yoked together, harnessed with an unbeliever if you're a believer. That concept of unequal yoking goes all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 10, where he says, Do not plow and with an ox and a donkey yoked or harnessed together at the same time. That's where you first find the thought, right back there. Don't harness an ox and a donkey to plow a field if you do you're going to have trouble because it's an unequal yoking. Now you say, well, what in the world's wrong with that? Well, the ox was a clean animal to the Jew, but the donkey was a dirty animal. Therefore, you don't mix clean and dirty in the same place. It starts there. But besides that, here's the real issue. The ox and the donkey have totally different natures, and they won't work well together. They are totally different creatures. The ox is usually hardworking and cooperative. He does exactly what the master tells him to do. But the donkey is stubborn, feisty, rebellious. He's going to fight against that ox. He's going to resist the master. The ox eats only grass, that which is good for him, but the donkey will eat a tin can. The donkey eats anything. The ox happily obeys the promptings of its master, but the donkey is wild and will fight the harness. Now, God never wastes a word. In the Old Testament, 
God was always giving us types and shadows and pictures of what was coming in the New Testament. And there are so many principles of life in the Old Testament. And here's one of them. The Bible is saying that there are certain things in life that are fundamentally incompatible, like oil and water. They cannot, should not, cannot ever be mixed together. They were never meant to be joined together. Not oil and water, not an ox and a donkey, and not a lost and a found person. This principle applies to the Christian life, and this is where I believe Paul was thinking back when he said, don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. He was thinking of Deuteronomy 22, verse 10. The born-again nature of the Christian and the worldly nature of the lost were never intended to run together in a double harness. Now, those of you that are single and you're looking to get married, you better perk up and listen real good because I'm going to save you thousands of dollars in counseling and a lot of tears. And those of you that are lonely and looking for a friend, listen to me very carefully. Oh, God wants us to have wisdom, and I want us to have wisdom. The Bible wants us to have wisdom. And we got to have wisdom in who we run with. we got to understand this, that when we become a Christian, we receive a brand new nature. A miracle happens. It is not a New Year's resolution. It is not rehab. It is not turning a new leaf. It is none of that. When you come to Christ, you receive a brand new nature. It's a miracle. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, a new species of being that has never before been a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I know I say it all the time, but i got to say it again today. You must be born again or you're never going to enter the kingdom of God. You say, well, what does it mean to be born again? It means you come to Jesus Christ and you say, Lord, I have sinned against you and I have broken my relationship with God. I need forgiveness. I need the washing of your blood. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. Come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord. And when you do that, you did not just decide to change your life with your power, but God by the Holy Spirit comes into you at that very moment and changes your nature. You who were dead are now alive. You who were lost now are found. You who were blind now can see. And there is a new nature. It's a miracle. And Nicodemus said, Lord, how can this be? And Jesus did not explain to him the mechanics of it. He just said, you must. You must. Be born again. And when you are, you've got a new nature. I'll put it this way. You went from donkey to ox. All right? Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 4, we as Christians participate, participate in a divine, the divine nature. The divine nature of the Lord comes to live inside of us. We have been born again, born from above, born twice. And do you know that in the New Testament you're called a saint? In God's eyes you're a saint. And you know what that means? Set apart and called out. Even the name church in the Greek language is ekklesia. Ekklesia means called out ones. Called out from what? called out from the world into the kingdom of God. You are called out and called in.
You are a saint. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. We are not from it. That is, we are no longer of that spirit of the world, but we are of the spirit of God. The Bible says in light of that, we should have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, you know I'm a word guy. You know that I love words. And so if God tells me not to have fellowship with something, I want to know what fellowship means. And here's what it means. To be a partaker with. To be an accomplice in. To be invested in or involved with. To be a participator, not just a spectator. If I am fellowshipping with something or someone, it means I'm investing my soul, I'm investing my energy, I'm investing myself. I am intimately involved. I am a participator, not just a spectator. So if you're fellowshipping with the brethren, that means you're involved in the church, participating in the church, involved in the life of the church. You are intimately, personally invested in it. That's fellowship. And God says, I don't want you fellowshipping or invested in or participating in works of darkness because you are called out from the world and its unfruitful works of darkness and you're called into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. That's good news. Can you say with me, I'm called out. And I'm also called in. You are a member of the universal church of God. You are a member of God's bride. You're called out to be called in. Now, in light of that, then you go, well, wait a minute, because the Bible also tells me that I'm not to shun the lost. So how in the world can I stay that way, be separated and invested in the church and walk clean and also not shun the lost? And just so you'll know that we're not supposed to shun the lost, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13, listen to this, Paul says, I wrote to you in my earlier letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, but I wasn't talking about the sexually immoral people in the outside world by any means, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or people who worship false gods. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world entirely because the greedy, the swindlers, those who worship false gods and the sexually immoral are all around us. And we're not supposed to be walking around with our nose up in the air, holier than thou, never coming into contact with them or making like the monks in the Middle Ages when they just went off to a cave or somewhere in the wilderness and lived their lives out away from the world in order to sanctify themselves? No, you're salt. We're in a salt shaker. You know what this church is? A salt shaker. And every one of you is a grain of salt. You know what God wants to do? Turn it upside down and shake you all over Fort Worth and salt it. And you're the light of the world. No man lights a candle and puts it under a bushel but puts it on a candle stand, on the table, right in the middle of the room so it gives light to all the house. That's why you work where you do. That's why you live where you live. God has put you there on purpose. And that's why you ought to see your job. Well, I don't like my job. Well, then shine. Make the most out of it. 
Because, yeah, God's taking care of your needs. God's taking care of your needs by your job. But don't kid yourself. God placed you there with the assumption that you would shine. Amen, Pastor Jeff. I'm telling you, come on. I, I amen myself every once in a while. <laughs> now watch this. So the, the Christian is not to do what the lost do, nor are we to shun them. So I'm not to do what the lost do, and I'm also not to shun them. Then what's the balance? Where's the line in the sand? Here's what it is. And I had to learn this when I was in college particularly. Here's the key. If I'm not to shun them, but I'm also not to be contaminated by them or to be defiled in running around with them, what do I do? We've got to learn how to practice contact without contamination or insulation, but not isolation. You're not an island and neither am I. We are a river, a tributary. We are a flowing river and we are not to be isolated, but we are to be touching people while at the same time not being contaminated by the contact. We're not to have isolation, but insulation. Now, our key role model is the Master, Jesus Christ. How did he live? The Bible tells us how he lived. We're told that Jesus was, quote, holy, he was harmless, he was undefiled, and he was separate from sinners. Well, all right, there you go. He's separate from sinners. He's holy. He's harmless. He's undefiled. He's not contaminated. And he lived that way his whole life. But it also says, Luke tells us, he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Wait a minute. He's a friend, and they accused him of that. You're always running around with tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, all of this. You're, you're seen around them. And yet it says he was holy, he was undefiled, he was uncontaminated, he was clean. How did Jesus do it? Jesus practiced contact without contamination. He practiced insulation without isolation. When I was in college, I went to a party school. It was a major party college. I'm not going to name it because this goes on the radio. I don't want any calls, and some of you might be going there right now party and hardy, and I don't want to lose you. But let me tell you, I went to a party school. It, 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 was, it was a good college. I got a degree there, but that's what it was. I mean, they were snorting it, smoking it, shooting it, drinking it. That's just the way they lived. They were, they were doing it, the sin. And it was all around me. Now, there was only one place I could go to get away from it, and it was a religious institution, or a religious place on campus, and it was dead as a fish on a pier. It was God's frozen chosen. I mean, all you did was play ping pong and drink coffee and go home. There was no life. So I felt alone. So I had to go, and I was in liberal art. I was in radio, TV, film, which was even worse than the rest. And so surrounded by all of this, I had to learn this. I learned how to do this. I didn't want to break all contact because that made me look snooty, religious, holier than thou. And how am I going to reach anybody if I won't even talk to them? So I had contact, but here's where you draw the line. I don't do what you do. I don't go where you go. Period. Here's what I learned. You've got to put your cards on the table immediately. Show your hand immediately. 
Don't wait around three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, a year to tell them that you're a closet Christian. Can I tell you, you're not a closet Christian. You are not a Sunday morning holy roller. You are a 24-7, 365 days a year, blood-bought, spirit-filled child of God. That's what you are, and you got to get your cards on the table immediately, immediately. Just tell them, you know what, uh, I'm a totally committed follower of Jesus Christ, and I thought you ought to know that. In our first conversation here, I'm all about him, and I'm going to put my cards on the table right there because God's intention is that the light in you would break the darkness in them. But if you don't put your cards on the table quickly, you're going to get more and more nervous, more and more intimidated, more and more quiet about it. You're going to become one of these compartmentalized Christians that you go to church on Sunday, but the rest of the week you look like the world, talk like the world, act like the world. We can't tell the difference between you and the world. And then the darkness in them is going to snuff out the light in you. So how do I have contact without contamination? How do I have insulation without isolation? I put my cards on the table immediately. And that's what I did in college. Right off the bat, I would tell people, well, yeah, I'm Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm saved. I'm, uh, I walk with the Lord. I believe in Jesus. Uh, he's my Lord. And I would tell them right, right there, right up front. Now, I found I didn't have to do much else. They did it all for me. Because you see, and those of you that are dating, you say, well, you know, I don't know where he or she is spiritually, but I'll find out later. You better find out right now. Find out right now before your heart is involved, before your emotions are lying to you, and before you're swallowing Satan's big lie. That is, you'll reach them later. If we get married, oh, I just love my love, we'll change them. You have no guarantee of that at all. I said it once, I'll say it again. My mama told me I better shop around, kick the tires. I say, you know what? You know what? I'm putting my cards on the table. I'm a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ, and that's where I'm going. Now, if you want to come with me to church, if you want to pray with me, if you want to read the Bible with me, if you want to walk with me down that narrow road that leads to life, you're more than welcome. But I will not go down the broad road with you. I will not compromise my convictions. You know where I stand. You know why this matters so much? Because you can lose your walk with God. You can lose your honor. You can lose your reputation. You can lose a lot. If you don't get wise about who you run with. Jesus, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, but he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He knew exactly how to balance the scales. You always knew where he stood. He would talk to you, sit with you, listen to you, but he wouldn't go where you go or do what you do. And that's how he drew the line. And if you're going to survive out there, you've got to learn that. And if you've got to say goodbye to some people, if, if they don't want anything to do with you because you're walking with God, can I ask you a million-dollar question? What have you lost? Oh, but I just, I just loved them. Hey, 
listen, trust me. God's got something better for you. You never have to sell your convictions out to get what you really need. God will take care of you. So use wisdom with those you're wrong with. And now the second thing is you, to stay clean in a pig pen world, you've got to learn to avoid close contact with the things of this world. He says, touch no unclean thing, the Bible says, and I will receive you, 2 Corinthians 6, 17. I will receive you. Now look at that. God says something happens with our relationship together. When you remove the unclean from your life. Again, here's a great word. He says, I'll receive you. The word receive there means to treat with favor. God is saying, if you'll be separate from this world for my glory, then you will enjoy my favor. My smile will be upon your life. Now, I don't know about you, but life's too short to not have the favor of God. I want the favor of God. I want the favor of God. And so, so to have the favor of God... I just remove the unclean. I want you to notice something. God is not a divine killjoy. He does not want you to never have fun or enjoy life. He didn't say, don't touch anything. He said, don't touch the unclean thing. There are movies, videos, magazines, music, places. A Christian cannot go and stay clean. Cannot listen to, cannot look at and stay clean. Now, I can hear you, and I can hear people by radio. I'm anticipating it, so I'm going to beat you to it. Some of you are saying, see there? Christianity is all about what you cannot do. You can't have fun, can't enjoy life, can't go here, can't go there, can't do this, can't do that. Blech! Who wants it? It's all a bunch of thou shalt nots. That's all that it is, a rule book. I don't want it. You're missing it. He didn't say don't touch anything. He said, I don't want you to touch the unclean thing. God is saying there are certain things that break our fellowship with him that destroy us in the process. And there are the unclean things that we just need to avoid to avoid hurting ourselves. I've learned this about God. He never says don't touch the unclean thing. He never forbids something in my life that is not hurting me. It's destructive. Remembering the principle, contact without contamination, insulation but not isolation. We can get to know people, be around them, talk to them about the Lord, but we don't go where they go, do what they do. We do not allow ourselves to get carried into the unclean things that are destroying their life. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. So avoid the unclean thing. And I don't have to tell you what the unclean things are. You know. You know what you can't handle. You know who you can't be around and where you can't go. That's, not, that's no news to anybody here. It's the unclean thing, the destructive thing. I have found that obedience brings such a joy and such a peace and such a skip in my step and a light in my eye and a smile on my face being obedient to God. I have found that the narrow way is the way that leads to life, and the broad way will tell you it's leading to life, but it leads to misery, regret, destruction, sorrow, woulda, coulda, shoulda, wish I had listened to. So 
So you got to avoid close contact with the lost, not contact, period. Avoid the unclean things in this world, not all things. And then to live in a pig pen world cleanly, you have to think consequences. Think consequences. He says, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. So he's saying, look, you purify yourself from something that you know is going to bring the consequence of contamination. Contamination is the consequence of a wrong decision. Can I give you a newsflash today? Just because you're saved, covered in the blood, and the Spirit of God lives in you does not make you immune to consequences. Paul is saying that rather than focusing on whatever benefits you think you're going to reap, think consequences instead. Always think consequences. Here's what you ask yourself. If I do this, what will happen in the long run? What will the long-term consequences be? Now, here's a good one. Who is this going to affect? Family, friends, church, me, others? What? Who, who is this? Because any decision we make is like a leaf falling on a perfectly still pond. You've seen it in the fall. Here comes a little leaf. Bloom. It hits the water that is totally still like a mirror, and the ripples go out and out and out until they lap upon every bit of the shore. Every decision we make, good ones. You make a good one, the ripples go out, and they touch people, touch your family, touch your generation to come. The, the ripples. You make a bad one, the ripples go out. You're not an island, I'm not an island. We don't live to ourselves or die to ourselves. Everything we do goes out. It has a ripple effect. And so you ask yourself, who will this affect? If I'm going to live clean, i got to ask myself, who's this going to affect for good or bad? Let me tell you something about the devil. Satan's job, and he's very good at it, because he keeps using the same stuff, and it's worked all these millennia. He's never had to come up with any new bag of tricks. The old ones work just fine. And here's what his job is, to minimize consequences and maximize the benefits. To a wrong decision. He says to Eve, Eve, listen to me. He says, he says, look at that fruit. Yum, yum. Doesn't it look good to eat? Oh, it sure does. And don't you know that God's really ripping you off? God doesn't want you to have fun. God does not want you to be as wise as him. God's really not out for your good, Eve. She says, well, okay. He says she looked at it and said it was saw, saw that it was good for food. She believed the lie that he was telling her about God. Doesn't want you to have any fun. Doesn't want you to enjoy life. Doesn't want you to be popular. And so she ate. Now look what was behind in terms of consequences. The whole human nature or whole human Race was brought into sin. 
untold misery, tears, bloodshed, tragedy, tumult, destruction, sorrow. Behind that one bite. He said, Eve, don't think about beyond now. Just look at now. You deserve a break today. Eve, come on, have a little fun. Put a little spice in your life. Aren't? Here, Adam, it was really good. And old Dumbo went with her. I think it's interesting. Satan attacked her mind, and she attacked his heart. He loved her. Come on, honey, I don't want to do this alone. But Oh, it's, it's just it's great. Come on, I don't want to do this alone, baby. Come on. Okay, and right then, glory gone, life gone, Eden gone, gate shut, tragedy. He doesn't want you to think consequence. But if you're going to live clean, you've got to be smart. God's job is to maximize consequences and minimize the benefits. And you know what? When you read your Bible, it will always maximize consequences and minimize benefits. Here's one. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. Consequences. The soul that sins, it shall die. Consequences. Watch out, says Proverbs, for the immoral woman from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house leads down to death, not pleasure, consequences. And her paths lead to the dead, not life. Nobody that goes to her is going to return, consequences, nor do they regain the paths of life. But is that what she's telling you it'll be like? If you succumb to her, when tempted, you always think consequences. Consequences. Keep, you got to be smart. You know, I guarantee you nobody who took up smoking, first time you picked up that cigarette, and I guarantee you you were watching and you were around somebody smoking, and that's why you did it. That's why I did it. I used to be a Marlboro kid. I was a Marlboro teen. And I saw my mom smoking. I said, oh, you know, my mother's going to hear this. And I'm in real trouble, but I'm sorry, Mom. My, my mom was smoking, and I thought, boy. And, of course, all my friends, cigarettes hanging out, you know, the cigarette out the side of the mouth, making your eyes water, making you sneeze, but you don't want anybody to know that. You're walking around with a cigarette hanging out your mouth, and you're cool. And so I said, I'm going to try it. I remember that first drag. Felt like somebody dropped a brick down into my lungs, but I wasn't going to show it. <laughs> but I persevered, and I became a smoker. Now, guess what? Nobody looks 30 years down the road and says, I'm sitting in a doctor's office, and he says, I'm so sorry, but I see something here. No one thinks of that. Or that first hit off the booze, or that first snort off the coke, or whatever it is, the first look at porn, Whatever it is, you don't see yourself five years later a slave. The devil says, no, don't think about that. Just right now. Just right now. Don't you really want that right now? And so if you're wise, it says the prudent foresee the evil and hide themselves. 
David said, how can a young person or any person keep his life pure? Here's how you do it. Practicing contact. I talk to you without contamination. Don't go where you go. Don't do what you do. By avoiding the unclean things of this world. If I know I can't handle it, or him, or her, I stay away. Duh. Do you know that defeating temptation, 90% of it, is avoiding the scene of temptation? And then I think consequences. Always and evermore, consequences. Well, I'm really not willing to reap that. So, no. Can we stand together today? Now, I want you all to know I love you in the Lord. I love you. And I'll tell you, our culture is under such an attack. So much of what we're being taught today is totally contrary to what you've heard this morning. But I want to promise you the wisdom of God is what we need. Our culture has no wisdom. Our culture is committing suicide. But not you and me. Amen? We're alive. We're called out. We're called in. So, Lord, we just thank you right now for your presence. And, Lord, we need wisdom so that we do not become contaminated, lose our walk with God, lose our peace, lose our joy, lose our testimony. But, Lord, we need wisdom to walk wisely. And church, I'm going to ask you to pray something with me. And you just say, Lord Jesus, I need wisdom in who I'm around, who I'm close to, what things I'm involved in. And I need wisdom to think consequences. Lord, in Jesus' name, give me the grace to walk in what I've heard today. Now with every head bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm at a fork in the road. And you know what? I know in my spirit right now that there are many people in here today that you're in a fork in the road. It's a person, place, or thing pulling you down that broad way that can lead to destruction, will lead to destruction on some level in your life. But you're also hearing the call of wisdom to walk down that narrow road that leads to life. Can I urge you today, you're not here by mistake. Jesus is standing in the path and saying, follow me. Follow me down that narrow road and just watch what I can do with you, how I can bless you. How I can change you. And think twice about walking down the Broadway. Because you will regret it. And as surely as you stand there. I want to pray with you. I'm not going to call you down. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. But if you can say, Pastor, I'm at a fork in the road. There's a person. There's a place. There's a thing. There's something. And I'm being tempted, torn, pulled 
and I want to make the right decision today. I need God's grace. Can I ask you right where you are to raise your hand? And I want to pray with you today. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. I see you. There's many of you. Listen, we're all there. We're, we've all been there. We're all going to be there again. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now. And I pray for the grace of the living God to strengthen them, to be wise, to walk in the wisdom of this truth, and to be successful, to shine, to overcome this hour of temptation and luring. And Lord, walk in your victory. And I believe it will be so in Jesus' name. Amen. If you needed this today, give the Lord a hand of praise, can you? <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.